welcome to the 2018 6th Annual Kessler Neurotrauma Conference, sponsored by Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation and Kessler Foundation. This conference presents an in-depth look at the art of delivering individualized rehabilitation services to this diverse patient population. Physicians, clinicians, and research scientists will provide insight into a range of topics, from mobility and fatigue to intimacy and sexuality to employment and empowerment, and will offer innovative evidence-based strategies to effectively support both the patient and the caregiver. This podcast was recorded and produced by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation, on Friday, December 7, 2018, at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation Conference Center, West Orange, New Jersey. In this, podcast, in this lecture podcast, Dr. Denise Fife of Kessler Foundation presents Exploring Racial Ethnic Contextual Factors Associated with Functional Independence in SCI. Dr. Fife is a senior research scientist in spinal cord injury, outcomes and assessment research at Kessler Foundation. For more information about Dr. Fife, check out her online bio by clicking the link within this podcast description. To listen to more conference podcasts, information about Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation or Kessler Foundation, check out the links within the description of this podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter. All right, good afternoon, everyone. Um, good to see some faces from last night again today. Um, this afternoon, I'll be talking to you a little bit about a project that, um, another project that I'm working on uh, that was recently funded by the Craig H. Nielsen Foundation. Uh, I don't have any conflicts of interest to disclose. Uh, like I said, uh, the, the project uh, that's looking at um, racial and ethnic contextual factors that uh, can be associated with fun functional independence in SCI was funded by uh, the Craig H. Nielsen Foundation and, and our um, spinal cord injury uh, outcomes and assessment department has, has been funded, like I said, uh, is also funded by the uh, Nidler STI model systems, uh, and that's sort of the core of our, our core funding for our de um, department. So I mentioned that. I also want to thank, make sure I thank folks in advance before I get started, uh, the research team on this project. Um, yeah, I'm working with uh, Dr. Trevor Dyson Hudson is one of the collaborators. He's the director of our of SCI um, outcomes and assessment. Sharon Sonnenblum and Dr. Dr. Sharon Sonnenblum and Dr. Matthew Schwartz are our colleague, my colleagues and collaborators at Georgia Tech, who are working on this project. Who are working on the wheelchair equipment data. Uh, Margaret Brown is a consultant, and my team here at um, Kessler Foundation: Ashley Quinn, Armani Wynn, and uh, Rakshana Jalil. <laughs> Uh, are also um, a part of the team as well, helping with the project and the data collection and management. So let me just go ahead and dive right into the project and tell you a little bit about it. So we know that one of the primary goals for SCI rehabilitation, right, is to restore functioning and promote sustainability of the functional gains and to maximize those gains after injury, right, after discharge, when folks go home. And we know functional outcomes uh, that are observed after SCI are important indicators. One, they tell us right about clinical status, clinical progress, their use for reimbursement, um, and uh, to talk about the, our, the effectiveness of our interventions, whether or not folks are, uh, like I said, gaining and sustaining um, some of their functional goals. 
while they're inpatient and at the point of discharge. So they're really key important indicators, functional gains. Um, and we know that the two major uh, domains of functioning that we're looking at, that we tend to look at in terms of um, clinical effectiveness are self-care and mobility, right? I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I just figured I have to set the stage. This is across disciplines as well, so. Um, but the, we also know uh, that, um, at least from some, of the previous, from some previous research, that poor functional status uh, has been found to be an indicator of decline in physical functioning, uh, an increased risk of cognitive impairment, from that, some of that research, we know that you know stress associated with poor functional outcomes can lead to some, uh, you know, impairment in terms of cognitive functioning. Whether it's longer sustained depression that can lead to cognitive impairment over time, and also an overall loss of independence. So um, a few years ago, um, I've been at the Kessler Foundation for about ten years now. When I um, one of my first projects that I worked on was looking at the SEM model systems database and looking at self care and mobility and functional outcomes um, from the time of um, uh, discharge to one year post discharge. And interestingly enough, uh, we found that um, and I'm and I'm a health disparities researcher, right? So looking at um, outcomes for disadvantaged groups, underserved groups, and um, trying to think of interventions that could possibly help underserved groups. So one of the things I was um, taking a step, going back to this project, was interested in looking, my first project at least, was um, looking at the model systems database, um, folks living with tetraplegia and quadriplegia, and um, their self-care and mobility outcomes. But it was just a secondary data analysis, right? So I just want to point that out. Um, it, it's not this project here that's not a secondary data analysis, but just giving you some history here. Um, so with that project, what we actually observed was that non-Hispanic white and Hispanic participants in the SEM model systems at the point of discharge actually seemed to have better self-care and mobility outcomes relative to non-Hispanic black pa um, patients. And my question was why? Uh, what, what could be contributing to some of these um, differences that we see in terms of self-care and mobility. And so this project, you know, was a, was a child of that. It's, it's, it's the next offshoot of, the, of, that prod, of that project to understand why um, we might see some differences in functional independence across racial and ethnic groups. But, we're, but I'm approaching it in a different way. I'll get to that in just a second. <clears throat> I anchored the grant and the project in using the, by using the, the ICF model. And I guess so, if some of you who were here last night and for our presentation, for my presentation with uh, Dr. Nathan Huggerbroom, um, you know, saw this uh, for his presentation. And this is how I'm using it in mine. It's a very consistent uh, model that we use in rehabilitation research, right? So the ICF stands for the International Classification of Functioning and Disability in Health. And it uh, was published by the WHO in like 2001 or the World, World, World Health Organization in 2001. Tends to anchor, oh, sorry, someone turned this off and this is on now. Okay, sorry, just, I just want to make sure. Did everyone hear me okay? No? Was that, was that a no? No. That's okay, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, all right. Do I need to go back? No. <laughs> I won't do that, I'll just hold this up with this. Okay, so in terms of anchoring the project in, in a model, so when we're doing research, you know, we wanna anchor our research in a conceptual model and not just, you know, fly by. We have some clinical insights 
that are inform that inform our research, but we also want to anchor our research in um, conceptual models to help guide the process, right? So the international classification and functioning and disability and health model that was um, published by the World Health Organization generally tends to guide a lot of our research and rehabilitation. And particularly for this project, what we're in, no, I forgot I had this pointer, sorry. <laughs> you don't need to hear all the, all the comments, but anyway, sorry. So this, this model really talks about the complexities of, and this is an example using um, SCI as our, uh, in the, within the model, and it's been used you know, in, um, across a number of different um, disabilities to try to capture the complex relationships between a disability, uh, functioning, and contextual factors. So the contextual factors are down here, the functional factors are here, and here we have the disability, right? And we know it's a complex relationship. We notice that all of the um, arrows are double-sided, right? So everything is connected um, in terms of um, functional and anatomical properties, activities, uh, in terms of participation. So that's our, these are our functional components of the model. And then we have these contextual uh, uh, factors that include environmental factors and personal factors. And this project is really trying to look at the interplay between these environmental and personal factors and how they can actually um, impact uh, the everyday activities, self-care mobility activities of persons living with a spinal cord, racially and ethically diverse people living with a spinal cord injury. That's what this slide is saying. Okay, <laughs> moving on. So how we how do we can how am I conducting this study? Well, with the help of our team, using a mixed method approach. I'm not sure if, if folks have heard about a mixed method approach, but I figured I would give you just some background here. So um, coming from a, more of a qualitative background, um, I'm using qualitative data collection methods in addition to quantitative data uh, collection. Uh, and so qualitative data is anchored in the voices of the participants, right? So we're, um, the participants for this study are primarily um, three groups, non-Hispanic black, non-Hispanic white, and um, Hispanic. And we're collecting data via focus groups and semi-structured interviews. Whereas the quantitative data collection, we're collecting that data via questionnaires, different questionnaires at different time points, and wheelchair equipment um, uh, is also helping us collect this quantitative data. And so we'll have outcome scores and um, wheelchair activity scores in terms of bouts of wheeling, um, time in the wheelchair and things like that for our quantitative data. And then we'll have some narrative data from the qualitative uh, uh, aspect of the study, right? Which is, it's quite extensive. You get a lot of data when you either have a focus group or a semi-structured interview. But, and our next step after that is to analyze the data clean, to my team who's, in, who's here, clean the data and analyze the data, um, both the qualitative and the, and the qualitative and the quantitative data. And then we triangulate the data by synthesizing both the quantitative and the qualitative data uh, in a, using a mixed method approach. So it's concurrent data analysis, uh, data collection, analysis, and synthesis. Uh, we have, this is a three-phase study. We're only at the beginning, we're in phase one, getting ready for phase two, really excited about that for next year. But So what, we, what have we done so far? Well, we obtained um, IRB approval and we collected three focus groups uh, with, uh, uh, that were, I'll talk about in just a second. And right now we are also developing and pre-testing our wheelchair equipment um, along with our colleagues at Georgia Tech. 
and uh, developing the semi-structured interviews. We're doing some um, one phase that's sort of not outlined specifically in here, but we're also in the midst of uh, our leading into is uh, cognitive interviews, which is sort of pre-testing that semi-structured interview to see if it makes sense in the real world and not just in our heads and on paper. Uh, and then uh, from there, uh, after we finish phase one, our goal next uh, year, that is 2019, is we'll be recruiting uh, 30 participants, 10 per racial and ethnic group, so it's stratified by race and ethnicity, um, to, con uh, to conduct home visits with them to administer questionnaires and semi-structured interviews, but I'll get into, again, tell you a little bit more about that a little bit later on. And we're using this data to um, create action point documents in terms of identifying potential intervention. So with the gaps that we observe uh, amongst amongst within and across groups will um, help us inf help to inform an action point document in terms of different interventions or uh, remedies to try to assist uh, our participants in areas where we see there's room for improvement. So focus group. Not sure folks know what a focus group is or participated in a focus group, but let me tell you a little bit about it. So a focus group is um, an open-ended guided discussion with probing um, with uh, probing of responses. So as opposed to a questionnaire that asks you, you know, did you drive to work today? Yes, no. It's, it's asking you a little bit more about that um, kind of question. Uh, it's usually led by a moderator, it's usually me and uh, using a script, and they usually last for about one to two hours. And uh, we use something called purposeful sampling, so we're really targeting individuals. We, we're, uh, when we're recruiting our participants with a focus group, we really, um, we're uh, being, although we have inclusion criteria similar to all studies, we're um, making sure that folks have, may have a common experience, whether it's living in a wheelchair or something like that, or, um, um, Yes, or are women, it's based on gender, potentially, or something like that, but they have some kind of common experience. And what's great about a, quali um, a qualitative focus group is that really it stimulates a lot of conversations about very specific topics in a relatively short period of time. So you get a lot of information in a very short period of time to sort through. These focus groups are audio recorded, digitally audio recorded, and transcribed verbatim via a transcription company. So, what did we do with our focus groups? Well, we had these three focus groups here at the Kessler Foundation, and um, they were, like I said, stratified by race and ethnicity. On average, our participants were about 42 years of age across the groups, um, with, interestingly enough, the, the non-Hispanic black uh, group, were, they were younger, relatively speaking to the other groups, and the majority of our participants were living with paraplegia. And they lasted about, most groups lasted about one and a half to two and a half hours. Okay. Um, in terms of general findings, they related to the general topics that we talked about, but we talked primarily about, well, well, you know, well, what is functional independence? What does that mean to you in terms of living with your spinal cord injury, right? Specifically in terms of your self-care and mobility. So we talked about uh, these, this was one of the key um, topics of discussion. I'll get into some of the findings. I'm going to share some of the, <clears throat> sorry, the initial findings with you. So, um, and um, so yeah, in terms of self-care, our discussions primarily focused on um, uh, blah, ended up, but not, not necessarily, this was again generated by the voices of the participants, right? So, 
our participants primarily talked about their bowel and bladder care in terms of self-care or showering and, and meeting those their needs at home with those, um, across those kinds of activities. In terms of mobility, talking about driving, um, issues related to uh, transportation as, as, as a key indicator of, um, transport, of, uh, of independence to uh, our participants. Uh, talked about a few personal factors related to psychological issues, so having your head in the game so that you can, you know, uh, either achieve your functional goals and and stay, um, sustain your functional gains over time was also uh, something that was um, talked about as well. We talked about cultural factors, and interestingly enough, one of the things that came up was talking about the value of a wheelchair culture um, uh, amongst the participants and that you know no one else can no one else in this room I'm just thinking about one of the quotes from one of the participants no one else in the room could really um, know what we're experiencing except for the people in this room and this is why you know when I pass another person in the wheelchair they get the head nod kind of thing you know um, and uh, so we were talking a bit about that we also talked about issues of discrimination as well and um, that was an interesting uh, conversation across groups that we'll get into in just a second so in terms of functional independence, like I said, we talked a little bit. I just wanted to share some of the initial findings. We talked a little bit about um, what functional independence meant to our participants, right? And um, this was a, a you know consistent. There wasn't anything um, really different across the racial, racial and ethnic groups in terms of how you talked about independence. Um, definitely the evolu their evolution since the time of their injury till now in terms of things that they learned about themselves and things that, that they've been able to achieve where they, where they didn't think they could achieve um, certain goals, functional goals, and they can achieve was seen as uh, a major gain. And, you know, I think about uh, the last participant there who's listed, you know, like being proud of their achievements and things that they have, the things that they've achieved over time and being able to take care of themselves. Um, some key indicators of functional independence, like I said, were the fact that some folk, some participants, actually the majority of participants, could drive. You know, um, whether they could tra travel to different countries by themselves, um, and um, as well as the self-care uh, kinds of uh, achievements that you that you need at home. Um, the idea that uh, circumstances sometimes dictate that you have to make yourself, make sure that you're independent, because if no one is around, how are you going to take care of your needs? And sometimes that's necessary. And so some of our participants, you know, they had to, in order for them to move out, I think it was, again, this was across groups, in order for them to move on and uh, achieve their functional gains and sustain their functional gains and remain in independent, you know, they talked about moving out of their mother, their parents' homes, uh, and um, to be on their own and actually and to, to live their lives the way that they want to live their lives. So um, as a major achievement. Um, in terms of self-care, uh, again, this was something that was just, it was a similar sort of finding across, across groups that, you know, um, participants mentioning that, you know, some uncertainty or fear you know, while being in, inpatient or newly injured um, about, uh, you know, completing their uh, self-care activities on their own potentially, but gaining that confidence, they're gaining their confidence over time. And um, the need to sustain those goals, those gains 
um, just thinking about one participant who's just like, yeah, no, I do not want to get a bladder infection. So this is like, you know, what I do because I really know that, you know, taking care of my body is just so important and I want to stay independent. I want to, I don't want to be sick and I know that there's a high risk of it. So, you know, um, managing that. And um, so self-care was another topic, again, in terms of functioning uh, that we discussed. In terms of mobility, like I said, we talked about, um, you know, the relationship, well, having a wheelchair as a means of independence, sorry, and um, also in terms of, so how they use their wheelchair and their relationship with their wheelchair. And um, um, what else do I want to say about this? Hmm. Oh, something else that came up in terms of independence and their wheelchair. Whether or not someone was helping you with your wheelchair or not, what someone was helping them with their wheelchair or not, and what that meant to them. Um, it wasn't always seen as a good thing, <laughs> particularly when they didn't ask for help with their wheelchair. That really wasn't, that didn't go over too well. Um, and um, so, uh, that, and that was definitely a very consistent theme too across uh, the, uh, the focus groups as well in that, you know, in terms of um, the need for help, particularly with their mobility device and whether or not you it was asked for or not, and the way that uh, people approached uh, their their wheelchairs, whether it was family or strangers, right? We had conversations about both, so um, that was important. Where here's where we see something a little bit different across uh, racial and ethnic groups um, in terms of the um, our discussions about discrimination. It was interesting because in our on in our Hispanic um, uh, focus group. We had participants talk about dis disability discrimination, whether it was um, here in the United States or like this focus group, we had a number, the majority of the participants actually were born, um, were immigrants. And so, that, but they would go home, they tend to go home and visit, and they talked about their experiences of discrimination um, when going back home. And so um, that was something that was interesting terms of highlighting those experiences and the fact that accessibility was really poor in their in their um, home countries as well. Um, in terms of racial discrimination, that was something that was primarily talked about in uh, the non-Hispanic Black focus group. In that we, um, you know, and what what's interesting to me about this is that we have two groups, primarily the Hispanic group and the non and the non-Hispanic white group, talking about a change in terms of discrimination, like it's a new experience. However, interestingly enough, for the non-Hispanic black participants, they talked about, you know, being historically, you know, having a history of discrimination before and after their, sp uh, their spinal cord injury. So that really didn't change, it was a constant, um, whether or not they were in a wheelchair or not. Um, and then the non-Hispanic white participants talking about the experience of employment uh, discrimination. And, uh, for this participant, it led to a, it's leading to a lawsuit, but that 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 being a new experience for him. <clears throat> so where do we go from here? Well, the focus group in phase one is really was really set up to prepare us for the next phases of the project. Um, so phase two is actually going to be some home visits to explore these topics further with our part participants in their home environments learning, um, talk about digging deeper, learning really about their personal experience uh, in living with a spinal cord injury and trying to manage their functional independence. So 
what we have coming up and what we're preparing for uh, are, it's three home visits. I don't know if anyone can see, I'm sorry about the color. This isn't, this is, I can't even see this color. I don't think, it, I don't know if anyone else can, but okay. So we have, we have three home visits planned with our participants. But, um, so what we do is we consent them. Thank you. Thanks. Um, we consent um, participants and administer questionnaires and to schedule a home for their first home visit. Our first home visit is um, uh, getting to know you visit, really. And so we learn about their daily lives. We actually administer a, da a home, a daily um, diary to learn about the ins and outs of their day. And another uh, key uh, goal for this home, first home visit is um, placing the wheelchair equipment on their wheelchairs. I'm gonna show you what the wheelchair equipment looks like in just a second. And so with this visit, like I said, we're getting to know our participants, they're getting to know us. Think about it, like, you know, we're going to someone's home, we're getting fairly, you know, fairly intimate and learning about their self-care and mobility and, and all their daily activities. So um, that's the goal of this primary, this primary um, home visit one. Home visit two is about a week later. And so they have had their wheel, they've had the wheelchair equipment on their wheelchair for about a week. And um, any problems, they're letting us know about it. We've been running some mock participants over the past few months and haven't, and we've run into some technical difficulties, some not, and we're working out some of the kinks. This is the, the benefits of some of these mock sessions, actually, which has been very helpful. So home visit two is the um, post uh, wheelchair uh, equipment uh, uh, visit. It also gives us an opportunity at this visit um, to review some of the time diary data, like talk to them about their week, um, as well as learn a little bit more about their, the, the key indicators in there, the key outcomes that we're talking to them about are their self-care and mobility and home visit too, right? And how they do, what they do, how was their week, what do we, and so that's what we're learning from that home visit, um, from home visit two. Um, but that's not all. <laughs> there's more. Uh, there's one more home visit, home visit three, which is a few days later. Uh, it could, within that same week of us, so let's say we went to see, home visit one was on a Monday. Then we go back the next Monday, collect the data, um, collect the wheelchair equipment, and that, and as well as those other questionnaires related to you know, falls, self-care, um, and mobility and then we do a follow-up visit later that week but with that what we do is we're actually presenting to our participants all of their data and we're talking to them about their data some of the ins and outs so we're showing them the wheelchair data and I'm going to share some with you in just a minute we're sharing that data with them as well as some of the other and trying to really tell a story about this participant and their experiences so here's some of the equipment that we're, um, we're using we're attaching to people sorry to people's wheelchairs. We have an accelerometer, um, a seat sensor, and something that we're calling the whammy. And I'll tell you what each of them are, are what kind of data um, each of these uh, pieces of equipment are gathering. The accelerometer is, um, sorry, <laughs> this is it by itself, and then we have it here attached to the, to the chair, uh, um, to the to the wheel of the chair, and usually it's taped on. We just wanted to show you what it looks like without the tape. 
And with this, we're able to take a look at bouts of wheeling throughout the course of the week. So we have a, um, some sample data here for you um, across two um, of our mock participants. So these little, um, so the, if um, the, uh, the density of the lines indicates um, whether or not someone is wheeling in intently or if they're just uh, not a less intense wheeling patterns, right? But it, what we have here across the bottom are days of the week and times when they might be wheeling. So we would, we, I'm not going to, if the person is sleeping, we'd expect to see less wheeling, right? This participant here um, was, uh, you know, out a little bit uh, in the after, yeah, well, in the morning, <laughs> she got up in the middle of the night and went and hung out. Whereas this participant um, had more of a reg uh, regulated schedule and tended to have a, more of a work day. So we're seeing bouts of wheeling throughout the day as opposed to um, various times throughout the day. Uh, the seat sensor tells us whether or not someone's in their wheelchair or not. So we have times that the red bars indicate when someone is in their seat or not in their seat. No, sorry, in their seats. And these, these uh, gaps right here indicate the person's out of their seat or out of their wheelchair, sorry. And um, so again, this, um, we have two different uh, mock participants here. Um, the individual on the right had more of, a, again, was working and had more of a work schedule, whereas the person on the left um, did not and had more of a variable schedule. So we see um, more of a variable pattern in their um, seating in their chair. Uh, the Whammy is a device that's being developed by Dr. Mark S uh, Matthew Swartz at Georgia Tech, and that's telling us a little bit um, about time at home, where someone is, where the participant is, whether they're home or not at home. So um, the red bars indicate when someone is at home or whether or not they've left their home using a Wi-Fi signal. So. What we, what we're showing participants, like I said, in Home Visit 3, we're bringing everything together to talk, to, to, to share a story of what we've learned over the, over the past week. So we're, what we're doing is we're talking to our participants about their activities over the course of the week, times that they're home or not at home in terms of their wheelchair use. But then we're also talking about specific days and talking about like when they were either out of their chair, when they were wheeling, when they were at home, um, vehicle travel is something that is uh, assessed via a, a whole um, cadre of, of, of variables coming together to tell a story about whether or not someone's in a vehicle or not. And it's, I mean, I have to tell you, it's been very interesting from our mock, par from our mock participants. A, it's just cool to see. I think <laughs> when people are thinking about, you know, you know, some, some folks might use a, um, um, may track their steps. Uh, throughout the day uh, uh, via, what's, the, what's the, the app that's used? The Fitbit or something like that, right? And that shows you your progress over the days. And, and so, so some folks have um, related what we're showing them to their Fitbits and, um, and using it as a point of reference to think about, you know, either good days or bad days, what's going on um, for them, because this could be that was the other thing that came up in our focus groups too. You know, if you're, because when we talked to our participants and said, this is what we're planning to do, what do you suggest um, we do to um, help us with this data collection? They were like, well, one, you know, you gotta be thinking about the weather and thinking about also just whether or not someone's having a good week or a, a bad week, because there's some weeks that um, when things aren't so great. But this helps to capture that and tell a different story just based on what an individual is experiencing. Um, so we are, like I said, we're preparing to go out uh, into participants' homes next year. 
um, and probably in the spring because the winter would not be a good time to go, I think, and collect this data and um, uh, to see what's going on in terms of different patterns across individuals and across groups. And so even though we know that, uh, that some individuals in uh, across racial and ethnic groups might experience, have different past experience and current experiences, um, in terms of addressing disparities that could be experienced, we know that um, that some of some of what they're experience, some of what um, participants are experiencing in their lives right now and living with a spinal cord injury are some things that we can address. If we take, for example, even in terms of like experiencing employment discrimination, maybe something that's unexpected, but there are some ways to address it that can be you know talked. Uh, can be taught and um, in terms of the different interventions of how to actually address something that might be unexpected in terms of, let's say, um, employment discrimination. So the goal is to, based on the findings, think about different ways that we can actually address different um, either problems or gaps that we observe in the data across these different phases. Okay, and I think that's about it. To listen to more conference podcasts, information about Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation or Kessler Foundation, check out the links within the description of this podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter.